Today is the 17th day of March, 2023, and it is St. Patrick's Day. And if you're watching on video, you'll see that Duncan is wearing his green shirt today. Uh, personally, I am wearing a green shirt with a red sweater because in central Indiana, it may be mid-March, but it sure seems like February. It, the weather is really turning cold here, but you know, hey, I'm not complaining. It is what it is. We welcome you to our Chapter 49 podcast. My name is Larry Lannon. I'm a volunteer doing uh, communications with Chapter 49. We're very happy that you're with us. Chapter 49, of course, does represent most IRS employees in the state of Indiana, and we welcome our Chapter 49 president. Duncan Giles. Thanks, Larry. It's always good to be here. And it is St. Patrick's. Now, St. Patrick's Day in Indianapolis, where both of you and I live in, in the Indianapolis area, uh, one of the big traditions is to have a huge St. Patrick's Day parade downtown. In fact, the federal building, you know, where I worked for many years, uh, was right near the staging area for that big St. Patrick's Day parade. I think. They're going to have to dodge uh, ice and snow today. Yeah, it's not going to be the most pleasant conditions to do that, but I'm sure that they, uh, many of the marchers will have uh, different kind of fuel to get them through this. The, the fuel that you're talking about is is is, a, <laughs> is of a very special alcoholic nature, I'm sure. But uh, yeah, that's a, if it gets too cold, we have different kind of antifreeze, I guess. Well, let's get into our issues because, Duncan, we have, a, a, I think, a very important development as far as NTEU and its internal workings are concerned, a very major announcement uh, in recent days. So, so tell us more about that. Yeah. Um, our national president, Tony Reardon, uh, who has served as national president, uh, it'll be eight years in August, has decided not to seek another term. He is going to retire. Um. I had a discussion with Tony before he sent the information out. Um, it's not, he's in good health. He just figured it was time. The union is in a good place. And, you know, he's been with NTEU either as an elected official or as an employee for 33 years. And he just thought that the time was right for him to devote more time to his family. And, I don't know of anybody that can argue that, you know, if you can uh, retire and go out in your own terms and spend more time with your family, that is absolutely awesome. Tony has done, um, you know, a great job as national president, national vice president before that. And even before that as director of our operations to keep everything running smoothly at NTU. Um, he is a, he's been very, very effective. He totally believes and federal employees and trying to make sure that they are treated right. And whoever follows them is going to have some big shoes to fill. So I'm, I'm very happy for him personally as a friend, uh, but friend to you, this is something that it's going to, uh, you know, it's a sad day to see. Understandable, but sad. I think it's sad for a lot of us, but certainly is what he wants at this point in time, and it is a personal decision. I don't think people understand just what the high-pressure job that is to be the president of a major public employee union on the national level. And, you know, Tony has done a good job. The first time I ever met Tony Reardon was in the late 1990s, and I was the first 
person connected with Chapter 49 to go to a national training class in many years. And I remember talking to him on the side as when he was an employee of, of NTU and calling him when we had issues with technology. Remember, technology was in its early stages in the late 1990s, and it was always very, very helpful in, in, in clearing up a little uh, gremlins that we might have had at that time. So Tony Reardon is somebody I have uh, known for a while, and I do believe that uh, you know he, he has earned his retirement. Of course, the big question is who will replace him. We have no idea at this point, really are in no position to comment on that, but we will certainly watch those developments and uh, keep you posted on that. Yeah, I know one person who will not be replacing. And and who would that be? That would be me. <laughs> um, thank you. No, thank you. No, thank you. I've, you know, there of course been chapter presidents have talked about it a little bit. Um, absolutely no interest in, in doing something like that. I'm sure there'll be, uh, you know, I don't want to get too speculative at this point, but, uh, it it won't be me. (laughs) So there are actually people who have been contacting you saying they want you to run for national president. Surprisingly enough, there have been some of those discussions. Yes. Um, and I've shot them down very quickly. Well, I think the first, um, first thing is, would you really want to move to Washington, D.C.? No. Um, you know, I, I had this discussion with my partner, Kim, the other day. And, you know, at the point, this point in my life, you know, I'm extremely happy serving as Chapter 49 president. I would like to continue doing that. That's what I'm interested in. I don't want to do the travel uh, to, A, to move to D.C., but... The amount of travel, not just work, but the amount of travel that the national folks, national president and national executive vice president have to do is unreal, going to see the different chapters of all the different agencies we represent. So, um, yeah, I mean, there have been been a couple people that have talked to me and uh, speculated, but uh, no, I, I have no interest whatsoever. Okay, so you heard it here first. <laughs> the big announcement, Duncan Giles is not a candidate for national president. I'm sure uh, we'll, we'll have more to say on this later. And, and the thing is, people need to know that uh, there will be a convention in Detroit in August of this year. And at that uh, convention, the delegates to that convention will elect both the national president and the national executive vice president, Correct. Exactly so. Yeah, that's, you know, like I said, I, I, you know, I always tell people this isn't work, this is life. You know, work is not life. And I'm at the point in my life where I just want to spend time where I can with, um, with my partner, Kim, with, you know, my daughter and her husband, um, you know, where I can. So I'm much more interested in doing that than in, you know, doing the fight. If this had been 20 years earlier, yeah, I might have considered it, but not now, no. Okay, once again, we got that pretty clear. So uh, we wish Tony Reardon well. He's still got several months left in the job, so he's still there and will still be there for a while, at least through August of this year. And he'll be fighting until the end. I mean, he'll be fighting for federal employee rights up until the end. I know Tony, and that's exactly what he'll be doing. And, uh, of course, we know that uh, Duncan will be a, a, a delegate to that national convention coming up 
uh, in August. And uh, so we'll have more to say about all this uh, as, as we move along within the rules and regulations that apply to uh, elections. So we want to make sure we, we follow those as well. I want to talk about uh, something right now that we have to talk about every now and then. Uh, every local chapter has to do that. Uh, local chapters very often communicate with uh, their own people about, uh, how should I put this, uh, that, that they would uh, to communicate with their people through the United States Postal Service. For example, that's the way uh, our local elections are handled. You receive your ballot uh, for a local Chapter 49 election in the mail, and you send it back in the mail. In order for that to happen, Chapter 49 and the National Union have to have a current and correct address for you. So, Duncan, how does one uh, member of NTEU check on uh, whether or not a correct address is on record for them? Yeah, the main thing is, have you been getting any mail from National NTEU? If you haven't, you haven't gotten membership cards, things of that nature, it's very possible we might not have a correct address for you. You can go on NTEU.org, where hopefully you've registered already. Go in and you can check to see what address we have on file for you. Or you can feel free to contact me and I will go in and, um, you know, check on that for you. And if it's incorrect, be happy to update it. I did that for probably, um, you know, we have a list of people we have incorrect addresses for. And I went in and contacted several people earlier this week to get uh, addresses corrected for that. Because we just want to make sure, like you said, for all different possibilities, we want to make sure to get the information to the right place to our members. You know, I think one important thing people need to keep in mind, I said, I've said this for years, going way back to when I was involved in chapter uh, activities as a vice president and just as a, an active uh, steward and member, for that matter. When you move, you do notify, I, uh, you notify the IRS. You know, the IRS has to have uh, an address for you of record. So you are, you're, you are normally going to, to update your address with the IRS. Just keep in mind, just because you have updated your address with IRS, that does not mean that NTEU has your correct address. NTEU is not a part of the IRS. We are a separate institution. So you want to make sure that when you have an address change, don't just notify IRS. Do that, of course, first, but then immediately notify NTEU as a member of NTEU to make sure that NTEU has your correct address, and you're right, Duncan. If you haven't received anything in the mail from our national union, it's a pretty good idea that there's not a correct address on file for you. Exactly. And like you said, IRS does not share uh, updated addresses with NTEU, so we have no way of knowing if people have moved. So we just want to make sure that we've got the correct address for everybody. Okay. Having said all that, let's talk about some some good news very good news, I think. You, Duncan, in the last uh, national agreement uh, negotiations, uh, set up something very important, a child care subsidy program. Uh, there were some stops and starts to get it going, but it is now going. And there's been some very good news on what's been evolving with that program. Tell us what's happening. Yeah, when we set this up, and this was... Uh you know, as I like to call it, our director of negotiations, Ken Moffat's baby, uh, when we started this. Uh, and it's just a great thing for folks at certain income levels. 
to have uh, some of their child care costs defrayed. And what had happened was when we originally did this, um, we came up with some income limits to present to the IRS. Um, you know, these income limits took a long time for us to figure out. I must have spent, oh, I don't know, at least 60 seconds on it before I uh, sent it to our team. And our team said, yeah, those look good. Let's present it to the IRS. Well, the IRS said my figures were too high. So they wanted lower figures. And, you know, they were like the initial threshold for tier one, as they like to call it, was 70,000. My tier one was 90,000. Um, lo and behold, what does IRS do after about a year? Well, we've reassessed. We're trying to figure out how we can get more people on here. Let's make tier one total family income up to $90,000. Wish I'd have thought of that. Uh, um, but I'm actually, in seriousness, I'm very happy to see them do that. Uh, so they now have total family income limits of up to $90,000. The second tier is up to one hundred and twenty, and the third tier is up to 150000 So we are very hopeful uh, that more people will be able to avail themselves of this. And like I said, defray some of their child care costs, because those can get to be uh, very expensive. I know we've talked about this before, but just as kind of a refresher for everyone, there are three tiers, tier one, tier two, and tier three, and you've, uh, the income uh, numbers have gone up closer to what you wanted originally, of course, when you're not afraid to tell people that. But uh, my, my question to you is, would you please just once again explain to people what the different tiers entail? Yeah, basically what they're doing is it's almost like, okay, first qualification, second qualification, third qualification. They're going to try, you know, there's a certain finite amount of money in the pool to reimburse folks for this, um, for a certain amount of child care. So they're going to take care of the folks in tier one first, those folks now up to 90000 in total family income. Then if they have uh, unspent money, they'll go to tier two, which is up to that 120000 and then if there are any funds left over, those will be the total family incomes from 120 to 150,000, roughly. Those are, you know, there's a dollar here and a dollar there, but those are the rough figures. So we want to make sure that, you know, if you do um, have childcare expenses, take a look at this, take a look at your total family income. And by all means, if you qualify, avail yourself of this to defray some of your expenses. And, and the bottom line here is that more people will be eligible with these new numbers, correct? We That's exactly the IRS's NNTU's hope. And that's why we originally wanted it to be higher, just because of the fact that we wanted to uh, make sure that more people could be taken care of. And to IRS's credit, I mean, they bought into this pretty early into the concept, and they set the lower limit of 70000 just because they had no idea how many people would be applying for this, how many people would qualify, things of that nature. So I understood where they were coming from, but I'm very glad to see that now it's being corrected, and um, I'm hoping that we'll get more people qualified and be able to spend those funds uh, completely up. You know, Duncan, you and I spent time, uh, a long time, working in a call center at IRS where a lot of the employees are not the more highly paid within the service. I started off in the service as the clerical job, essentially, and knew a lot of single parents who struggled with that uh, in the lower uh, thresholds of the income level. 
And these are the people that uh, on the lower income end of, of IRS employment who are going to get the most benefit from this. Absolutely. And that's what we were looking at, trying to make sure that uh, the folks who need it the most get the most. I mean, that's that's basically what it comes down to, because they need as much assistance as we can give them. And that's what we try to do. And again, it's also for recruiting and retention. This is a very nice thing to tell folks who are looking to come into the IRS that we have this program and to keep folks who are here to say, you know, this is one of the things that we offer. You know, if you leave here, you're not going to be able to get that. Well, Duncan, let's move on to another issue. And this is something NTU's been pushing in the courts, went to the courts on this. Now we're going to OPM. This has to do with the COVID pandemic. Remember, folks, this is a pandemic that cost over one million lives in the United States, tens of millions of lives throughout the world. Serious pandemic. The question that NTU is trying to get answered is, why don't people get hazard pay for this uh, being you know these hazards to being exposed exposed to covid particularly people in our processing centers but there are other places around irs and other federal agencies where this exposure to covid we felt and still feel <clears throat> should have had some qualification for hazard pay we went to the courts and the court said well it's really up to opm and their regulatory you know realm so now NTEU is going to OPM. So talk about what NTEU is doing now with uh, the regulators. Yeah, Larry, as you said, the courts have stated that because OPM did not have any regulations on this, they the court really has no standing to award hazard pay. And so NTU has gone to OPM, Office of Personnel Management, the folks who manage the federal workforce, and said, we would like to see a regulation on this and we'd like to see it retroactive so it covers folks who are working side by side with people, you know, in these larger, uh, you know, service center areas or in something like a tech or in any of the other governmental agencies that we cover, like our customs and border protection folks who are, you know, working the borders and out working with people the whole time, that they would qualify for hazard pay and would get something extra for being on the front lines during COVID. So we're we're hopeful that the OPM folks will take a look at this and make that determination that it is hazard pay and do it retroactively. There's absolutely no guarantee of it, and I wouldn't go out and spend that money tomorrow, but just know that NTU National is trying this. And I think it's a very novel approach, and I think it's a very smart approach. Well, and I think there's there's stand not just standing, but I think there's they can make a very cogent argument that it's it's hazardous to potentially be exposed to COVID, you know, a pandemic that uh, claims so many lives and, and, and put so many people in the hospital. You know, I had it bad. My doctor nearly put me in the hospital when I had it early on, but there weren't a lot of effective treatments. So I, you know, I really think that NTU is doing the right thing. As you said, there's no guarantee of success, but I, I credit our, our legal staff and our leadership of the union for pushing this. So uh, any anything else you want to say on, on that issue? Nope, I just, I'm very happy that they're trying to push for it. You know, I, I don't know about you, but I've had many a training class uh, out of town, you know, places such as Cleveland and Detroit and Cincinnati and a few other places. And I don't know about you, but uh, 
there wasn't a lot of consistency in when a, a training class would start. For example, if you had a Monday start date, sometimes uh, the class would start in the middle of the day on that first day to give everybody a chance to travel, which may or may not have been enough time. And some classes would start at you know, 8 a.m. local time on Monday. Well, NT is pushing now for official travel during the workday so people don't have to travel on Sunday for a Monday morning class. So what, what's going on with all this? Yeah, that's the thing. It used to be, uh, like you said, it almost had gotten to be the rule that you would either do Tuesday through Thursday classes and then Monday and Friday would be the travel days or you'd start at um, like a noon on a Monday and end on a noon on Friday. So most folks would be able to get away uh, on their duty time or if not totally on their duty time, the vast majority of it. But lately, especially since we started back up meeting in person uh, since the pandemic, seems like a lot of training folks or officials who are making this training have forgotten about this and have started classes, like you said, at the 8 a.m. or 9 a.m. Monday, where people would have to travel in on Sunday. And, you know, NTU has been pushing national IRS and saying, look, we're hearing these reports from our different chapters. You folks need to get it together because if people are traveling on Sunday, are they getting uh, compensatory time? Are they getting credit hours? What are they getting? Are they getting overtime to compensate them because they should not be traveling on their own time for business-related training? And so that's that's something that's going back and forth right now with the IRS and NTU, and IRS is looking at it, and we'll get back to NTU with some more information and uh, hopefully formulate a plan on this. So if, if you've had a class, let's say you were an Indianapolis-area employee, for example, and you end up uh, being assigned to go to a training class in Detroit, Michigan, and you have to be there at 8 a.m. on Monday, and that's the first day of the class, um, you know, really what NTEU is saying is how are you going to compensate these employees for the travel and getting themselves situated in their hotel and everything on Sunday? Is, is that what we're saying here? Exactly. And, you know, it gets to be um, what's called who's FLASA exempt, i.e. professional employees, uh, you know, the technical term, so who can get overtime, who can't get overtime. There's, there's a myriad of different rules on this, but the bottom line is is just people who have to travel on Sunday for Monday classes should be compensated in some form or another for having to do this, and it should not be on their own time. There shouldn't be love time going on here. Yeah, when, when Duncan talks about FALSA, I believe that's the Fair Labor Standards Act, if I remember that correctly. Yes. And, yes. And uh, – the rules and the laws surrounding that are so complicated, uh, attorneys have not been able to <laughs> clearly explain to me how that works. But NTEU has successfully argued that the agency has not followed FALSA and has has been able to go to court or go to arbitration and get back pay. I was a tax law specialist that got back pay as a result of a FALSA lawsuit filed by NTEU, and I wasn't the only one. Several uh, Different kinds of job classifications got that. So that's a law that NTUs watches very carefully, make sure that agencies are, are actually adhering to it. Let me talk about a TIGDA report. You know, we don't talk about TIGDA reports much here on this podcast, but there's one that came out recently that's created quite a buzz. 
Everybody working at IRS knows that we're going to be watched carefully. We are expected to be tax compliant. And if we're not, you know, we're going to be called on the carpet for it and have to pay a price for it because we are the tax agency that administers the tax laws, federal tax laws in the United States. Well, what about other federal employees? They work for the federal government, correct? How tax compliant are they? Well, this TIGDA report didn't paint a pretty picture of that, did they, Duncan? No, they didn't. Actually, it was uh, kind of amusing. Who came out of federal agencies looking the best? IRS. Um, Probably because we have the most hammer hanging over us if we do not file and pay our taxes timely. Um, But, yeah, there were several government agencies that had um, fairly high, if you take a look at it, fairly high percentages of employees who were not filing on time or paying their taxes or things of that nature. So TIGDA doesn't have any jurisdiction over them per se, but they just wanted uh, attention drawn to this to say, you know, look, you make sure to clean up your uh, agencies because, as you said, we're all federal employees and everybody should be paying their taxes on time and filing on time. Well, of course, if, if IRS is going to be called on the carpet and have this stringent requirement to, to pay your taxes, I think what TIGDA was saying is, IRS, you need to get tough on other federal employees, which apparently the data they looked at indicated that IRS, of course, IRS has has had trouble doing working compliance in just about every sector. But I think the, the idea is, uh, why don't you pay more attention to federal employees? So we don't exactly have enough staff to get to everybody, but I think that was the message, right? Yeah, it was, it was like, yeah, that's that's great, okay? And if we can conjure up these phantom, uh, you know, revenue officers and revenue agents to take care of these folks, we'll, we'll do that. You know, we are hiring. We are trying to get even more hiring, which I think is great. But right now we don't have the bodies to do, you know, go after things like specifically, uh, you know, a department that goes after federal employees outside of the IRS who haven't filed their taxes or paid them. It's just not something we want to do. We're trying to hit every high value target we can. And that's something that in an ideal world, yes, we would be taking a look at that, but we just don't have the bodies to do it at this point. We're still trying to work on that ideal world. If, if, if our, uh, if, if our extra funding and our annual budgets come through, maybe just maybe we'll have a chance to do that. Duncan, your uh, final comment for this podcast. Yeah, I just want to, you know, the, uh, we're recording this on St. Patrick's Day, and I'm a big one. You know, if you want to go out, you want to celebrate, you want to have a good time, you know, have, you know, mixed drinks, cocktails, what, beers, whatever you want to do, that's great. But it, either have a designated driver or have a plan to, you know, do taxis, Ubers, Lyft, whatever it is to make sure that you get home safely and that everybody else gets home safely. I'm a big, big um, believer in that. I worked in the bar uh, and restaurant industry in my youth, and I can tell you I saw plenty of people who didn't do that, and that's just wrong. Just so people know, I uh, I did the split screen as you were talking, and we were having some connection issues. I My picture looked like I was something out of the twilight zone, but I think we finally got that fixed. My final comment is kind of interesting. It's it's an experiment that's been going on in the United Kingdom for a while. The United Kingdom has been experimenting, and by the way, this comes from a Washington Post story I saw just recently. They've experimented with a four-day work week. 
Now, this is not a four-day work week with 10-hour days. This is a four-day work week with eight hours per day, 32 hours a week. So they did this on a trial basis for a while, went back and and, uh, the people who did a, a deep dive into the data as to what the results were on this. Listen to this. 15% of the participants in that program said no amount of money would persuade them to go back to working five days a week. Now, these are private companies. Companies in a similar UK pilot program reported increased revenue, reductions in absenteeism, and reduction in resignations, and improvements in employee well-being. Uh, employee mental health is also uh, on the upswing with these people. Uh, there was also a, a, a study in Iceland, much like this, where they had the same outcome, that uh, they get more sleep, their household social activities were better. What, and this post story went back. How do we end up with a 40-hour work week, five days a week, as kind of a standard thing? This all started with Henry Ford, uh, he felt like, well, you know, if we can, if I can uh, uh, pay my people more, give them more time off, they'll buy my cars and have more time to play with my cars. So he had some self-interest in doing that. Uh, but uh, listen to this. There, uh, John Maynard Keynes, famous economist, thought his children would have 15-hour work weeks. Well, that never happened. And then and listen to this. As vice president of the United States in the 1950s, Richard Nixon— uh, basically forecast that uh, the United States was not far off with this 32-hour work week. So this is not a foreign concept. It's something that's been around for a while. And the U.K., you know, people very much like us and, and the way they, they do business. And, and, and historically, we have all these ties to places like the United Kingdom. They're going to a 32-hour work week four days a week, and it's working out well for them. Who knows? Maybe someday in the United States. I don't know. But it's very interesting that this data came up and these companies found that uh, it was good for their bottom line, not something you would expect. Anything you want to add to that, Duncan? No, I think I think it's a worthwhile study for uh, folks to do in the U.S. as well, because I would imagine the results would be largely the same. Thank you, Duncan Giles. Duncan Giles is chapter president for Chapter 49. This is our regular weekly podcast. We try to make it weekly as best we can. We do miss a week every now and then, but uh, we lately have had our, our weekly podcast. Again, if you have comments, suggestions about the podcast, contact Duncan Giles directly. You can contact him at his email address, nteu49 at AOL. Once again, I just want to thank you for spending time. You've listened and watched the entire podcast since we're here at the end. It's always nice to have people stay to the end of our podcast and listen to the entire thing. And and it's all here for you. We continue to receive feedback regularly. We appreciate that. And we know you're out there watching and listening because we've seen the numbers that show that. So in the meantime, please be safe and be kind.